Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Jaime Nakaj. He is the founder and CEO of Virtual Latinos. As the name suggests, Virtual Latinos focuses on Central and South American candidates, and they are fast growing, and that generally reflects the incredible interest at the moment in the LATAM region. Everyone I know in the outsourcing industry is talking about Colombia at the moment. All of the BPO owners in the Philippines are traveling to Colombia to check it out. So there's certainly a lot happening in Latin America. Of course, it's pretty powerful when you think about it is so close to the US, obviously the biggest economy of the world. It is the same time zone as the US. And of course, uh, with the Hispanic population of the US, it is also pretty valuable. So there's a lot of benefits to LATAM, Latin America, and uh, Virtual Latinos, of course, is tapping into this wonderful trend. So it's great to discuss all of this with uh, Jaime. He is the founder and CEO of this company. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Hi, man. Welcome to the show. You uh, are the founder and CEO of Virtual Latino. So I'm super excited to talk about this region of the world in the outsourcing context. And it just seems to be growing crazy right now. Everyone seems to be talking about Colombia as the hot outsourcing destination. So it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, as, a, as a high level overview, what's your take on uh, the Latino region uh, in terms of the prospects for outsourcing? Sure. Thank you for, very much first for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you here today. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm going to tell you the main thing is that Latin America, I think the biggest benefit it 
has is that it's in the same time zone as the U.S. And that's something people love. And there's a lot of qualified talent that people just don't really know about. So it's a great opportunity to see something closer to home with great talent. And it's only growing and growing. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, and it's a funny thing about outsourcing. A lot of them are sort of, it, it all happens around the emerging markets. And then these markets are just so exciting, aren't they? There's so much growth, young populations, so much opportunity. And it's, uh, yes. uh, it's, it's, it's just a pleasure and a great opportunity to work with these regions. So Jaime, you, as I mentioned, are the founder of Virtual Latinos, but how did you get into outsourcing often there's there's an itch to scratch uh, how did what was your journey into this industry sure yeah happy to share with you basically i started a marketing agency back in 2015 and my entire team was in san diego where i live in the united states and everything was uh, you know going along well uh, but i was very much focused only on very small businesses which were naturally with low budgets which costs, you know, you know, issues in terms of, you know, getting the clients to invest in, you know, the company and the marketing services we offered. But I really was close to helping really small companies because I came from a family of, you know, family-owned businesses. So I really wanted to focus on that. So it came to a point that there was a lot of competition. In general, in San Diego, there's a lot of marketing agencies. So I had to make a choice whether to increase my pricing, which people suggested I should because our quality was very good and on part to what you know other bigger agencies were charging or of course the other way would be to lower costs and so i read a book uh, and i started learning about virtual assistants and i kind of naturally did what probably a lot of you know people you speak with uh, have done and i started learning that kind of the philippines is the place to hire assistants right so i'm like okay let's try it and sort of to keep it short i did i spent lots of months uh, looking into what to do about it, read you know the book in detail, Virtual Freedom, and basically went to onlinejobs.ph, posted lots of jobs, and invested a lot of time figuring out who to hire, talking to them, uh, and you know it was an, unfortunately for me, which I know it's not the case for a lot of people, it was a really bad experience. I had issues with people in the Philippines that actually scammed me. I paid them, and then they uh, ended up kind of giving work to other people who then then they didn't pay to other people so they were scamming both sides me and then other people who they were like hiring on my behalf let's say to do the work that never ended up doing it other people left me within a few weeks or months because somebody was willing to pay them i don't know 25 or 50 cents more there was issues with the internet and kind of there were just too many issues between the time zones and the internet connectivity and people willing to leave me for a little bit more money and you know uh, that was not a great experience for me and so I was looking for digital marketers. In this case, let's call them virtual marketers, right? But I live in San Diego, California, and that's right next to Tijuana, Mexico, like a 20-minute drive. I'm from Mexico City myself. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I know all these Mexicans who live across the border. Why don't I just go to Tijuana and just hire some marketers? It's like the obvious thing to do, especially because there's a lot of businesses that kind of already do that in other industries, right? They outsource. In most cases in Tijuana, it's usually manufacturing, right? Physical stuff. Uh, long story short, I went to TJ, couldn't really find what I was looking for, and people just told me, listen, the people who knew Tijuana, because I didn't, they told me, listen, Tijuana is a small town, you're not going to find like proper digital marketers to the level you're expecting that are like US trained, uh, you got to go find them either in Mexico City or somewhere else, or just go to Upwork. So I did, I went to Upwork, and that didn't work out so well, I didn't like it so good, 
uh, in terms of what I was looking for. And that's why I said, you know what, um, maybe I should just hire somebody uh, on my own. But at least I did get lucky. I'm going to try to keep it short. I did get lucky and I was able to hire a graphic designer in Tijuana who worked for me as a virtual marketer for about a year. She crossed the border a few times so we could have meetings in my office in San Diego. But then after a year, she quit, went to work for a big corporation. And that happens a lot in Tijuana in general. And so I was left like by myself. I had already not worked with some people in the US. And so I was like, oh my God, now what do I do, right? I had already worked with the Filipino VAs. Now I have finally somebody close to home. And then I'm like, okay, now I really got to find somebody again. And Tijuana wasn't a really good option. And that's why I started looking into the option of hiring people in general all over Latin America because Tijuana wasn't good enough. And after doing some research, I realized there was only really one company at the time in 2018 who offered virtual assistance from Latin America. So I saw the opportunity to basically kind of jump into the abyss and figure out what, what can happen. I was not trying to really build a company, but I did out of my own need to hire virtual marketers. Jaime, that sounds like a lot of hard work. Uh, it sounds <laughs> frustrating. It sounds like you met a lot of dead ends. Um, why didn't you just give up? Why didn't you just walk away saying this is too hard? What was it about the prospect that you thought actually there's this big potential and not only just to serve your own needs, but then to build it into a business. Thanks. Thanks for asking. You know, I think you're probably the first person to ask me that. Why didn't I just walk away? <laughs> Nobody's actually asked me that before. Um, I'll tell you why. The reality is that I come from a family of entrepreneurs who've always had their own businesses. Like my father, my grandfather, and probably my great-grandfather always, you know, were entrepreneurs. And I definitely had always wanted to build my own thing. I had already had my own you know, marketing agency at the time, but I've always had a close relationship with my father who I've worked with in the past. And we were always looking for finding a new way to basically, let's say, grow really big, right? And many times we spoke about doing e-commerce businesses and lots of different things, but I am like the perfect idea killer. I kill so many ideas. If it's not unique enough, I don't want to invest my time into building something because it's so much work. And I'm sure you know that too. Uh, but I finally had sort of done enough research and realized there wasn't too much, there was not too much competition in this definitely old market of 30 years of virtual assistance, but that it was like only concentrated in the Philippines. And I was really like scratching my head. I'm like, wait, I don't really want to build anything. I want to just hire an American, a Latin American virtual marketer in this case, not even a virtual assistant or like for administrative work. And I'm like, I can't believe, like, why has nobody thought of this? I mean, obviously Upwork is there, but Upwork is from all around the place and it's not just VAs and it's not from an agency. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy, but there's really an opportunity here because there's not a lot of competition. Why not try it? You know, the worst that could happen is that I will just fail <laughs> and that's going to be okay. And I guess to answer your question more specifically, I am a marketer. I know how to do a lot of marketing stuff, building websites, building emails, getting traffic, getting leads. So I knew that I was not going to have to invest money-wise a lot of money. I was going to be able to build a lot of stuff myself to start, let's say, the test trial of this potential company. And I guess that's kind of the reason, right? I didn't have to go get money from anyone or myself. I kind of just invested a lot of my time into building you know, a bunch of landing pages, driving some traffic and testing. And it, it seems with... You know, Upwork and onlinejobs.ph, it's such a common story that people are disappointed. And even if you get a good one, it's not scalable. Um, it doesn't 
um, work long term and people just walk away. And that's such a shame because that's often people's first contact with offshoring, with outsourcing. And yeah. their conclusion is that all of this is is unreliable, you know, and, and it sounds like that was your experience as well. So when you set about um, setting up virtual Latinos to obviously attend to this issue, yeah, what, what are you doing different so that people don't get this experience? <laughs> Great question. I can tell you that now we do it differently, but at the time, I guess it wasn't too smart of me. I actually sort of copied the business model of onlinejobs.ph and I went out and because I knew how to build websites, that was just like, okay, these guys have a website that's like a job board. Why don't I do the same? And I thought that would be the right solution, even though I knew that I kind of hated the fact that I invested so much time in posting jobs and interviewing so many candidates who applied, but I basically copied that. So we had the virtual Latinos directory and that was the only and main original version of virtual Latinos. Um, we just killed that version last December. Um, but let's just say that within a year that we had that service, we, I realized that I spent so much time actually helping people figure out how to hire as opposed to making money from lots of, let's say subscriptions. Uh, I was spending too much time doing, let's call it customer support, how to write the right job post, how to properly evaluate people, how to interview people, how to choose the right candidates. Even though it was a platform where we had, I had already vetted every candidate compared to online jobs at PH, for example, that doesn't really vet them. Anybody can sign up and create an account as a Filipino, let's say. So I had already vetted a lot of people, but I still realized, okay, in terms of a business model, first, I'm not going to make a lot of money like this with a one-time, at the time it was like 50 bucks for one month, one-time fee, that's it. <laughs> so that was not going to work as much. Then I changed it to 50 bucks a month. And they had to like technically still work with me for as long as they hired the assistant, but that was hard to track. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to do what I didn't really want to do myself. I didn't want to hire an agency because I knew that there was going to be some profit for the agency. But the reality is that I knew that's what I should have done uh, myself. And then I, well, if I would have done that, then maybe I wouldn't have this business. But I know that today, all of the clients who come to us to begin with, they're very busy. They have a lot of stuff going on and that's the reason they need help, right? They need somebody who can help them out. So they don't want to bother with the process of finding the people and spending the time to find the right talent. So that's what we do today. Today we only have the virtual Latinos agency where we do absolutely the entire process uh, from vetting the candidates to eventually accepting them into our community. And then we allow them to apply to specific jobs. And then we also, in this case, we also vet the clients. Uh, we need to speak to them a lot more in terms of time that we invest in speaking to them to make sure they're the right type of clients not just for us, but for our assistants. Uh, and that's been kind of part of the secret side. We really vet both sides and we invest a lot of time in our recruitment process, a lot longer than most companies do. Outsource Accelerator is obviously a directory of sorts. You know, it's, I position it as yes. the trip advisor of outsourcing. And it very, it dawned on me very early on that this is not, when people start their outsourcing journey, it is not like buying a book on Amazon. Uh, it is not a simple transaction. It is highly personalized. Uh, it yes. is very high touch and it's also very high value. And I see that you kind of went on a similar journey in that to control the process, uh, you really need to roll up your sleeves and get in there. And then you're basically, mm -hmm. you know, working alongside your clients as a partner. And it's very Correct. difficult to turn that into a simple online transaction, isn't it? And then um, because as you say, if you just have the basic marketplace, it just seems that there's not the 
uh, reliability, scalability, and even even Upwork, which is a you know, monster of a company, has been going decades and is publicly listed and doing billions yeah. of revenue. They have a real big issue with managing the people that are on their platform, getting quality work from their platform. So I think it's essential that, uh, you know, such as yourself, you, you help manage the process to ensure quality and scalability. And because people are, they're busy, aren't they? Busy. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can tell you that for sure when we were in the transition, um, because we did have clients in the directory and we were happy that that was definitely still growing, but at a much smaller pace than we grew once we switched to the agency. And yeah, we had people who complained like, you know, why are you getting rid of it? Blah, blah, blah. Because, and I, and I totally felt bad because I identified with them. I'm like, I was that guy. I didn't want to go through an agency. I wanted to do it on my own. And I knew there's some people that say, do it yourself, like myself, who didn't want to go through an agency that do want to have a reliable directory in this case to hire from, especially that I was vetted like mine. But then I realized, really, I spent so much time vetting these people and my process for making sure that the people go through my uh, process so that I can accept them, in this case, into the directory, that I'm giving away, in a way, almost for free or very cheaply, all the hard work I'm doing, right? And that's when I kind of said to myself, you know, as much as I feel bad for the people who want to use the directory, it's just, it doesn't make sense for me and for the company to grow. And the only way we're really going to help a lot of people is for us to help them the whole way. And today, of course, many hundreds of clients and assistants later, we know that it was the right choice to do because people are just very happy on all ends. The assistants are happy, the clients are happy, and they keep hiring. Mm. I mean, I'll, it's sort of a setup question, but you know, you, as you said, and a lot of entrepreneurs are um, independently minded. They're like, why, why am I going to go through an intermediary? I'm just going to do this myself. I'm just going to mm -hmm. find the people myself. I'm going to PayPal them. I don't need to pay any extra. And, you know, virtual Latinos is a service layer on top. So there is a cost component that goes to you as opposed to just directly the worker. Um, but, right. you know, you have been on both sides of that. How, how do you now explain to the client the value add? Why is it worth their time to go to, to use virtual Latinos as opposed to sort of navigate this jungle directly? Yeah, it, it, you know, because I've been totally in that opposite side where I wanted to manage it myself, you know, it really comes down to telling people, you know, how much do you value your time and doing what you do best, you know? And the reality is that we tell people who are not willing to pay our prices that are slightly, let's say, higher than maybe they're thinking if they were to hire on their own. And they definitely you know, are going to be a little higher because we need to make some type of profit, of course, for the company. But not only do we save them time in terms of the process of hiring, but because we have a whole process set up for vetting the candidates and we've kind of made the right steps in our process so that we have really good people that are staying here for the long term, people really value that, right? Because it's not just about uh, hiring, let's say in this case, fast, uh, just to start having someone working for you, but you want that person who works for you to really last with you as a real team member for the long run, right? And that's kind of what we tell our clients basically from day one. If you want to work with us, we only work with people who are interested in building long-term relationships with us and with our assistants and who are not impatiently trying to hire tomorrow. Um, I mean, we're not trying to be slow on purpose, but we are slow compared to the average, probably let's say Filipino VA company that people call up, where people have told us, I mean, I'm not gonna come up with this, but people tell me like, you know, I call this company and they interview me for 15 minutes. And then, you know, the next business day, they send me a bunch of PDFs, usually resumes. 
and we've done this with other companies who we, we, need, we need sometimes help from at the beginning. And literally people just send me like other people's CVs, totally all, this, all different formats because everybody's CV is different, which means they didn't bet anybody. They just collected a bunch of people and then they just send them off. And I still got to do all the work of figuring out who's good. So we really work more like a recruitment firm, right? So we're like your in-house recruitment or HR department where a lot of people go through us, we bet them in many ways, and then we only present people with the best three to four candidates. And that's kind of on purpose. We're not gonna send you 10 or 15. We're only gonna send you the best. And that's another way to show people that we wanna just save them time and money uh, because we don't want them to waste their time looking at all these candidates. They got basically trust us that we put all, all the time <laughs> to just send the people who are good. Yeah. And what is the conversation? What's the journey like for most new clients? You know, you're, you're, you have, I suppose, the exposure of, of both sides of the economy. You are from Mexico uh, and you live in San Diego. And it, it amazes me that, you know, for example, people in San Diego, business owners, don't quite realize that it's just as easy to hire someone over the border or, or in Central America as it is locally in San Diego. And then equally, you know, people sitting in Mexico City aren't aware that they have the opportunity, the same opportunity to work for a local employer in Mexico or for someone, you know, offshore. Uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, and so what is the, you know, you're, you're on the ground in San Diego. What is What do you see is the level of awareness of the typical business owner of this global employment opportunity you know as i was reading your book i very much related to you know everything that you speak about you know the, how the world has evolved and how people can't think of what's going to be in the future and you know you give the example of all the waterways and then the trains and all these different things and the introduction and i'm like yeah i mean in a way people are totally not understanding the great value of the ability to hire anybody from around the world. And of course, yes, thanks to COVID, this is much more or less of an issue of understanding because people basically around the world work remotely. So that has actually helped, let's say, our industry. Um, but yeah, the truth is it's still very much hard for both sides, both business owners, let's say in the States, to be willing to hire somebody uh, remotely. Let's say it's only those people who have more of a future uh centered mind where they're really thinking of the future and how to be more let's say modern as opposed to old school and they're really open to new things that are really willing to try but you know i can tell you you know i'm 37 i have lots of different friends from different ages but many of them my age were also entrepreneurs are not even listening to me to hire people remotely right it's like people my age that you would think would also be let's say more forward thinking but no, it's very, very hard. And then think about somebody, you know, maybe a lot more older than me, 20 years older than me, in their 50s or 60s. You come and approach a business owner and tell them you're going to hire somebody in Peru to do administrative work for their law firm. If they're an old school lawyer, they're going to be like, you're crazy, right? Of course not. There's all these, like, I can list you tons of problems that can happen. And the same is true with the people in Mexico City. So, you know, I have family and friends in Mexico City. I myself, I'm part of the Mexican Jewish community there. Uh, and there's like a lot of people in my Mexican Jewish community in Mexico City, but very few are part of our community. We've, we've hired a few, but it's like hard for them to like get the idea that like, you know, they can get out of the normal idea where they just go to school and then they get, you know, hired locally in Mexico City or their parents who come up with a job through someone they know. 
but like we're paying people so much more in terms of dollars compared to what they can earn. And I, unfortunately, I'm sad to say, and you probably know this, but in most third world countries, even if you have the best education, there's not enough opportunities that pay what you're worth. That's the reality. And I have examples from friends who, you know, graduated from the best universities in Mexico, but they offer them like really low wages, even with the best degrees, which is why they end up doing, you know, maybe other things. But yeah, it's very uncommon still in Mexico and Latin America to think of working remotely for another company outside the country. It's just, it's, we're still in the, you know, diaper stage of this, uh, of what's going on. It is still so, so uh, young, isn't it? You know, the, yeah. just the concept of the industry, like call centers have been happening 30 years, but they just seem yeah. removed from normal kind of business, you know, um, typical sort of SMEs never really yeah. see or touch call centers. So it's almost like we're starting from scratch, you know, okay. but I, I find, you know, you say like the 60 year olds, it, yeah, it, it, it's a hard sell. The oh, 30, yeah. 40 year olds, they're kind of getting around to it, but I have so much like, um, hope for the 20 year olds that are just starting their career now that are sort of brought up in an online world and kind of a globally connected society. And when yeah. they are founders and CEOs in 10 to 20 years from now, I think it will just become a default, but it, it's, it's slowly, slowly, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm totally fascinated. I can, you know, share something, you know, quick. I just last year in 2021, I invited four people of our internal team to come to San Diego and it was amazing. I mean, of course I worked in person before, but the fact that I've already been working remotely for such a long time and I was finally able to see the people uh, that I work with every day in person and hug them and work with them literally next to each other was like kind of weird, <laughs> but at the same time amazing. And as much as we love remote working and everybody working from their house, definitely that personal and um, you know, human connection and actually being in the same place at least once or twice a year. It's super powerful. We're doing this now this year in November. We're going to actually be 20 people out of more than 50 people who are part of our team. And so, yeah, we both love the fact that we can be all spread around the world and people can work from anywhere. Uh, and at the same time, we're also you know, trying to keep this human connection with also getting to, to know each other physically in person. Um, and I guess that, that was one of the benefits that I thought could happen when I built Virtual Latinos. Like Latin America is not that far. I mean, <laughs> of course, I didn't think that Buenos Aires, for example, where we have a few people from in Argentina, it's still like going to Europe. It's like a 10-hour flight. So flight-wise, it's really far away, even if it's the same sort of time zone. Uh, but from you know Central America and Mexico, it's like, yeah, people can come here, spend a few days and go back. And it's not that expensive, let's say, to make the trip. And let's say many of them because of the type of people who hire have you know us visa so they can easily come in um so yeah there's like all these benefits of being able to work with people from far away yet having the ability to also meet them in person a few times a year one of our clients in san diego invites their team which is all spread in latin america all around the place every quarter they have a quarterly meeting in san diego and they fight everybody in uh every quarter which is awesome that's great. The world is getting so much smaller, isn't it? You know, everything's getting so, much so connected. And um, do you do you have any insights into Venezuela? Like, obviously, the economy has just collapsed there. Is there is there hiring opportunities there? There must be a lot of people eager to kind of get connected to the global economy. A hundred percent. So when I started Virtual Latinos, we barely had like any people from Venezuela. We had like less than a handful that were hired through the agency, let's say five. 
Uh, and then eventually we hired one of our internal team members from Venezuela and she started spreading the word and then the word got spread around. And now I think Venezuela is like the fifth country we hire from. There's like a lot of people for many reasons. Uh, first of all, Venezuela has a lot of really talented people. Um, and that's, of course, one of the main reasons because we have great people in Venezuela. But the reality is that, of course, as you know, Venezuela has so many economical issues, both in terms of their economy as well as they're closed from so many geopolitical issues <laughs> around the world that what we pay them, because we have a minimum that we pay in dollars to everyone, it doesn't matter if you're in Mexico or in Costa Rica, you get paid the same minimum in dollars. So of course the dollar, both in Argentina, which has similar issues in terms of their devaluation, as well as Venezuela is like, they're getting paid like crazy money. So they're like super happy, which is exactly why they're spreading around the, the word to join us. Right? Because we're giving people the opportunity to literally change their life. And then, you know, we get messages from the assistants when we get together. Like, I think a month or two ago, one of the assistants who we had just hired within a month, they sent an e a message to our like Telegram group. It's like, listen, I just want to share with you that I was able to buy a car now within a month instead of having to wait 12 months mm. because of the income that they're getting through us. And people have been able to buy houses. It's just amazing the, the power of what we're doing. <laughs> This, it's the beauty of the global economy, isn't it? You know, and, yeah. um, in Ukraine, when the war started, people were literally renting Airbnb properties just to get money into the country. And, you know, that, sure. that was seen as a way to funnel money to Airbnb hosts. They wouldn't have, like the, the guests wouldn't go and stay there. They just wanted yeah. to make payment. And as, as the world becomes more connected, it, it's fascinating to see how there are more, um, safeguards you know and there yeah. are more there's more security for for people in the world it's not their fault in venezuela that their economy is just absolutely broken and their their government is screwing things up and you know there's an opportunity then for for people still to protect their own interests it's so powerful yeah i will tell you that venezuela is the only country where we unfortunately have issues with when it comes to the internet and that's when i remember uh, my issues with the philippines because the infrastructure is just so bad in Venezuela that other than Caracas and maybe a few other couple of, let's say, major cities, anything outside the urban areas, the internet is absolutely horrible. We've tried to hire people who are so talented and their English skills are amazing. Um, and we feel so bad because we've had to, unfortunately, let them go within one or two weeks because they couldn't get the internet that they were hoping to get. And it was just so bad we couldn't communicate. And like, and I'm saying this with a big parenthesis that I worked with our first virtual assistant who was out of Guatemala, where her speed was three megabits per second. And we worked like this for years, including doing Zoom calls with no problems. Wow. Right? So in Venezuela, they get way less than that. And it's obvious that you can't work with it, right? But that's the only country where we have issues with it. Everywhere else has been not an issue. That's a good point. Huh? You know, you do need the basic infrastructure and in a lot of these developing countries or emerging or troubled countries, uh, it, it's not just the internet, there's brownouts and things like that. So it's, you know, unfortunately, that is that baseline foundational requirement. But hopefully, yeah. you know, these things slowly get resolved if Starlink and these other kind of um, internet provisions come through, then it can... Uh, uh, jump the the, inf the local infrastructure requirements so slowly i think we're getting towards i already have one of our clients using starlink oh really sure how we got into it yeah i mean he's in san diego so i think he's using it for san diego but from what i believe he told me he's actually going to give it to our assistant in latin america to 
It's not far away, is it? I know, I know yeah. uh, people here that are working with the Philippine government to bring in Starlink. So it's um, in the Philippines. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's 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 just around the corner. And so oh, you came from a marketing background. Uh, what roles do you particularly focus on for virtual Latinos? Do you have specializations? And then how do you also ensure quality and capability for your clients? Because you're sort of more on the line, you know, unlike a marketplace, you're more on the line for the quality and the delivery and all this. So how do you ensure yes. quality and capability? Yeah, so um, I guess it's sort of in two phases before hiring and after hiring. Um, I think where we're the most involved, <clears throat> for sure, in terms of how much time is invested per hire, it's definitely on the before hiring. We have a very long process in vetting the assistants, uh, both through their application process and you know different skills that they need to test, including, of course, English, um, uh, as well as, let's call them, little hurdles that we put on their way uh, as part of making sure that they're the right candidates. And this has been the most important way that we ensure that it's quality people that we're looking for, people who pay attention to detail, people who are willing to read lots of stuff that are boring to make sure that, you know, they're not going to just be here to get a quick buck and just do, you know, simple jobs just to get something, right? We want people who here who are dedicated, who want to build a career, who want to be here for the long term and want to be building something really uh, strong, right, with us and with our clients. So that's the first part. We've managed to build a process that really is able to filter out those people. Statistically speaking, I can tell you that we accept a total of about 5% of all the people who apply. Uh, and then we end up hiring between 1% to 2% of them, right? So on that end, we make it uh, so that most people, unfortunately, don't get in. And then once people are hired, the first things that we do is we do an onboarding call. That's a 45-minute required call with the client, the assistant, and our team where we walk them through the basics of what it means to work remotely. Most of our clients have never worked with anybody remotely. Uh, some do, but most of them haven't. So even from the basics of you know using Zoom to using time tracking systems, project management systems, and all the really basic tools to work remotely, uh, as well as what happens if there's problems, right? If there's lack of communication, if, if people are not coming in on time, or if things are not being done as expected, uh, we have a whole, you know, list of, let's say, guidelines that we share with our clients and our assistants. Uh, and we also have a customer success uh, team. So every client is assigned to a customer success agent. So, and that's part of, you know, our service to our clients and our assistants, because we actually help both sides, not just the clients, right? Whenever uh, an assistant is not so happy with the client, we're also there in the same way to assist them. And we basically have a whole set of guidelines of how we help them. Uh, so we do it both proactively, which is the most important, as, as well as reactively, right? Proactively by meeting with the client and the assistant every so often to make sure that both sides are, are happy. So we meet just with the client and we meet also just with the VA to make sure really both sides of the relationship are happy working together. And we ask them to provide feedback. And of course, if there's any issues, let's say reactively to some problems that they're having, our assistants, I mean, our customer success agents get in the way by, you know, getting up a Zoom call, talk with both sides, figure out what can be done. And in most cases, it can be resolved by just guiding, right, the clients and the assistants how to work properly and professionally. And if not, we either create a performance improvement plan, which is kind of a way to tell people, listen, you might get fired if you don't improve within 30 days, as opposed to just giving them a 30-day or 15-day notice that they're out. And that's helped a lot, saying, hey, listen, 
things are not working out, we try to resolve them. But if you don't improve A, B, and C with very specific things that they need to improve on that we can later check, uh, then they, they, they would be let go. And that was actually something we didn't come up with. A client sort of gave us that idea and it worked wonderfully because when you just say, hey, you know, improve this and that, but it's not in writing, it's not that good. When we have it in writing exactly what you need to do and what's the expectation, and then we can check it 30 days later to see if you did it or not, then it's a lot more helpful. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're always like the middle, uh, let's say the middleman uh, to make sure that the relationship is good. And that's like the basic part of, you know, the working relationship. Uh, on top of that, we're investing both time and resources to actually help the clients and the assistants uh, generally. For the assistant side, we're building the Virtual Latinos Academy to be able to build courses uh, to train them in different topics so that we, they can continually increase their skills. And on the client side, we're constantly doing webinars um, with different topics, not just about hiring, but also, for example, marketing automation and, you know, lots of topics that I know about, you know, marketing related or business related. We do webinars to basically help clients grow their businesses. Um, and then at least for now, also for free, I basically tell all of our clients that they can always request to chat with me like a one hour consultation where I just talk with them and I understand, you know, what their business is doing, how they're doing things, and I just give them a lot of recommendations for how to improve them, whether with technology, uh, processes, or hiring more people. Mm. And what is the client journey like? To, to me, you know, outsourcing is so obvious, and I just, it's almost like normal employment. But for those yeah. that aren't familiar with it, you know, it's, it is a little bit kind of freaky. It's, it's different. And, you know, there's yeah. sort of trust issues, and then there's new... Uh, processes and tools to use. So, what is? How do you take a, a client on that initial journey, journey to build their journey. confidence and get some wins and results? Yeah. So first, I'll summarize it, and then I'll give you a few details. So the summary is basically there's uh, two main steps uh, that they need to do with us. So when they come to our website, they usually sign up or register in one of our forms to say that they're interested. And the first step is to actually have like a 15-minute consultation. And that's the step where we, we could call it, let's say, is the introductory call uh, to make sure that they are the right type of client that can work with us as well as we are the right solution for them. And we explain to them how it all works, what the process looks like, and we explain to them the rest of the process in those 15 minutes. We talk about pricing. We talk about real expectations of what we can help them with or what we cannot help them with. And usually once we are both understanding each other that we are the right fit or we're not the right fit, uh, then we move on to the next step. And the next step is investing another 45 minutes with our team where we then interview the client. And this might sound weird, but we interview the client for 45 minutes first. Uh, and that's usually the minimum. It usually goes for an hour. Uh, we ask people to fill out a little survey before that call with some basics about what they're looking for, their role, the pricing that they're looking for, the hours, all this basic stuff. And then we go over all of this information plus more one-on-one -on -one with a recruitment consultant where we in a way really do act as an actual consultant right we're not just saying okay you did do all the check marks of everything that we asked you to fill out we actually speak with them we understand what their business is how they work what's lacking what their pain points are and then we recommend what we think they should hire i'd say more than half the time people fill out the survey thinking that they need to hire a b and c and then we end up telling them, you know, based on what you're actually telling me, you probably need to hire like these different roles. And instead of hiring one person, you really need two people. So it's really a consultation to recommend people what to do. 
Um, and after that stage, assuming that they want to move forward with the process, then we take seven to 10 business days to do the actual recruitment process internally, which is about a week and a half to two weeks. And that's the time where we interview between seven to eight pre-vetted candidates from our community, specifically for each job, even though we've already vetted them. For each specific job, my team interviews them for the specific role. And then we end up choosing the best three to four candidates. And the last step is we basically send the client an email with those three to four candidates in a specialized PDF profile where we summarize everything about them, including all the notes of how these people are going to be specifically good for each of the tasks that they need help with. And then we ask the clients to choose the best two to interview them. Fantastic. And are you are you involved in the day-to-day operations, the delivery, the quality of the staff output, or you know, are you more managing the sort of the, the high-level HR and making sure they're happy and attending, but the operational day-to-day is up to the client? No, so the, the operational day-to-day is up to the client. Uh, now, the assistants, for many purposes, have to provide us with like a weekly report of what tasks, you know, they're broadly working in, not with details. It's like a one-page summary of what they did each week. They also need to provide us with time tracking. But the day-to-day management of the people, which we want to call virtual professionals as opposed to virtual assistants, because they're not really just assistants. We hire all types of different people. Uh, it's really on the day-to-day with the clients. So, yeah, we're kind of just you know, managing the relationship. Now, I personally now manage the company, let's say, more from... Uh, higher up. I'm not me specifically involved in the day-to-day operations anymore because we have a, uh, a whole team you know, of people that are helping us. So what is the price structuring then? You, you don't, you know, now, obviously, salaries vary a lot, but how do you structure this price for the, for the client and, of course, um, for the benefit of the staff as well? Yeah. Um, so the reality is that you probably know there's no black and white. There's like always a whole gray or a range of pricing. Uh, let's say for marketing and informational purposes, we kind of divided it into three main buckets. And that's what we have on our website uh, where people can click on the pricing and see it up front. Uh, but it's obviously not specifically to each role. So we kind of divided the pricing into three buckets the first one which we call entry level which is generally speaking somebody with one to five years of work experience and the rates are between eight to ten dollars an hour for full time then the second range is what we call the mid-level uh, range and it's for people between five to ten years of work experience uh, and that's for full time again eleven to fifteen dollars an hour and then we have the expert level which is usually uh for sure, um, more than 10 years of experience, uh, and that's between 16 to $20 an hour or more. I would say that about 80% of our assistants are between the entry level to mid-level, so anywhere between eight bucks to 15 bucks an hour is about 80% of the price range for our uh, you know, assistants. Now, the reality is that when we're asking people, you know, what are they looking for to pay, we always ask them, like, what are you willing to pay? But in the end, once they tell us what they're looking for, we tell them, well, you might want to pay eight bucks, but what you're looking for is worth more. And that's what, that's what we talk about it when we're doing the, the consultation. One of the things that we do that I don't think many companies do is we specifically tell our clients that we don't pay ourselves a percentage-based commission, which means that we make the same amount of dollars. In this case, we pay ourselves a dollar based commission, regardless of what the price of the assistant is. 
So whether somebody's hiring somebody for eight bucks an hour, 15 or 20 bucks an hour, we don't get paid more. We get paid the same. So the reason being, I wanted to build this pricing structure in such a way that clients never think that we're incentivized to upsell them somebody more expensive. So that when we're talking to them, they really know that we're really telling them what we recommend that they pay based on the type of person and experience that they're looking for, not because we want them to pay more because we literally don't have an incentive. We don't mind. You can hire the entry level or expert level. We don't get more money. And I think that was very important for, for me so that the clients knew that. And now, you know, they know that. And that actually helped them hire the right person for what they're looking for. Because um, sometimes they really want lots of help. And even though they're thinking initially, oh, I want to pay the lowest rate, they still realize, okay, I'm going to pay a little more. But compared to the U.S., it's still a lot cheaper. So mm -hmm. sure, why not? Right. And especially knowing that we're not taking more out of the salary, let's say, of the assistant. Yeah. And I always, always try and encourage people to pay a little bit more, especially when they're starting out. You know, there's this sort of seems there's a section of society that's endlessly searching for the perfect two dollar an hour assistant. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. that undoubtedly ends in disappointment and, uh, yeah. you know, just pay pay significantly more, you'll still be saving a ton of money compared to the US or UK. Uh, you, you'll get stability and reliability and you won't be disappointed. And it's just kind of getting people over that hurdle, isn't it? Because they, they've heard about this mythical $2 an hour person uh, yeah. and, and they feel any, paying anything more is, is, uh, is, is unnecessary, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah. that, uh, Jaime, that's incredible. Again, incredible insight and fantastic journey with virtual Latinos. I, as always, encourage people to reach out, have a call, uh, see how offshoring can impact their business. And this isn't like buying a book on Amazon. It's not a simple transaction. Everything no. is really customized and bespoke. So um, as always, I encourage people to, to have a phone call. If anyone wants to reach out to you, Jaime, or check out Virtual Latinos, how can they do that? Sure. Yeah, so you can definitely check us out online in all the social media platforms. We're on LinkedIn. You can just type in Virtual Latinos. We're also on Instagram, on Facebook. We are now also on TikTok. Uh, you can also wow. personally reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, my name, I'm the only guy with my name, so you can find me there as well. And I love to have conversations, you know, with uh, small business owners, medium business owners. I really love to chat uh, with people because I love learning. You know, I'm a guy who loves to solve challenges. So whenever there's a challenge, I love taking it on and see how it can be solved. And that's whether that's with solving it with people or uh, in this case with technology or automations, which is a thing that I love about. That's great, Jaime. How's TikTok going? What are you doing? Are you doing dances or are you doing... Uh, <laughs> so we're still, let's say, testing it. We only started this about a month ago after months of planning because we wanted to do it right. And so we put two people in our team to do lots of research and to plan out content. And, you know, it's, it's mostly just informational. It's very organic. It's not actually as planned as we thought of in terms of planning it. And it's really just a lot of, you know, little nice tips for right now it's kind of focused on the assistant side to get more assistance to apply to work with us we're not yet on the side for attracting let's say businesses right um but yeah so far it's doing amazing i get the email almost every day from tiktok saying you have this many more followers this many more views this many more comments it's like crazy uh and i knew that tiktok was a thing to discover or, i mean or get into for a while because i follow a lot of people who like crazy expanded their business just on tiktok 
and I'm already, I'm sure, late to the game, but, you know, better late than never. Yeah, I'm a lot later than you, Jaime. We're actually just uh, really doubling down on YouTube at the moment, and we've only just started that about three to four to five months ago, so I'm definitely late to the game for some of these channels, but uh, yeah. congratulations. And, of course, so um, check out your website as well, which is virtuallatinos.com. Jaime, right. thank you so much. Thank you as well. Thank you so much, Derek. That was Jaime Nakaj. He is the founder and CEO of Virtual Latinos. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.